Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to a PCF podcast. We believe listening to the Word of God will change your life. God bless you as you continue listening to this podcast. Today's message is all about partnership and the title of today's message is Move Into the Neighbourhood. Move Into the Neighbourhood. Now, as many of you know, PCF have been raising funds to help build a church in Nepal. We've recently had our pre-loved clothes sale put on by our very own Chris Norbury. We raised loads of money from that. And before that, we put on a barbecue fundraiser for the England football match, which was a great Sunday afternoon. And England won as well, so that made it even better. Now, you might not know this, but Nepal is actually the poorest country in South Asia. With over 25% of the population, that's over a quarter of all the people living in Nepal, living below the poverty line. And thanks to your generosity, we've so far been able to raise over £3,000, which is going to support the needs of our Nepali brothers and sisters. Last year, if you remember, we sent over £10,000 to local organisations in our community. The Message Community Grocery, Stockport County Foundation and the Stockport Food Bank were amongst the organisations that we blessed with our finances. You guys, PCF Church, are an extremely generous church. And in Proverbs 19, verse 17, it says this, If you help the poor, you're actually lending to the Lord, and he will repay you. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. The Bible calls us to be deeply, deeply involved in caring for the poor. In the Old Testament, the role of the ancient prophet was to be a messenger for God and to announce God's will to his people. One of the leading theologians and philosophers of the 20th century, Abraham Heschel, said this, In speaking, the prophet reveals God. In the words of the prophet, the invisible God becomes audible. Heschel says that the prophet was not just a mouthpiece, not just an instrument, but a partner, an associate of God. The prophets were repeatedly referring to what has become known as the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable. No, that's not a boy band. The quartet of the vulnerable refers to the widow, the orphan, the immigrant and the poor. And today, this list could be extended to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless and many single parents and elderly people. The prophets were constantly stressing the importance of meeting the needs of those who lacked those with less than ourselves, the deprived, the disadvantaged, the marginalised, those on the sidelines of society. The prophet Isaiah said this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless or the orphan and plead the case of the widow. And in a similar oracle, the prophet Jeremiah said this, This is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. 
do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. So why were the prophets so incessant on reminding people to care for the needy and take up the cause of the vulnerable? Well, remember, the prophet's role was to announce the will of God. They were God's representatives on earth. God spoke to his people through the prophets. And what does a word reveal from a person? It reveals their mind. So when the prophet speaks, God and his will is revealed. And the New Testament echoes the same urgency for caring for the vulnerable and the needy. Many times Jesus challenged people to live life with open hands and open hearts towards those less fortunate than themselves. One of the most well-known passages in this regard is in Luke 10. It says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Jesus, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. So if we follow these instructions, if we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength and all our mind, with everything we've got, and we love our neighbour as ourselves, then we get to experience what Jesus promised in John 10, 10. We get to live, we get life and life to the full. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. So we asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? He's saying, okay, I see that I have to love my neighbour. I see that I have to love God and then love my neighbour. But what does that really mean? And, and who does that really mean? Verse 30, Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. Verse 31, by chance, a priest came along. Thank God the guy must have been thinking, this was the local church pastor. What perfect timing for such an upstanding man of God to be walking by at this moment. The verse goes on, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed over to the other side of the road and he passed him by. Perhaps he was on his way to an important church meeting. Do you know what? He was probably speaking in tongues as he passed by. What could have been so important that he didn't have time to stop for this guy lying half dead at the side of the road? This priest, this pastor, he put more effort and energy into crossing the street in order to avoid the actual need. So in God's grace, God sends somebody else. Verse 32, a temple assistant, a Levite, walked over and he saw the man lying there. Thank God the guy must have been thinking, surely this man is going to help me. The verse continues again, but he also passed by on the other side. 
The temple assistant, the Levite, he was probably rushing to his next Zoom meeting or Google Teams. So he crossed over so not to come into contact with the need. So at this stage, battered, beaten and bloody, this man was probably thinking, what is it going to take for somebody to stop and help me out? Verse 33, then a despised Samaritan came along. No name, no title, probably no followers on Instagram, a man seemingly of no significance. He stops for the man lay in the road. This man with no name, no title, no significance uh, stops by. He sees the need and he, and he goes, he runs towards it. Who knows in the Bible it says it's man that judges the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And when he saw this man lying there, he felt compassion for him. And going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them up. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took something that was convenient for himself and he used it to meet the need of another. And he took the man to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, which was equivalent to two full days work. And he told him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, then I will pay you the next time I'm here. This Samaritan, this despised Samaritan, sacrificed his time, his energy, his resources, his money and even his very own life. You wouldn't have quite been like walking down Park Lane on a Sunday afternoon. No, it would have been extremely dangerous to stop on this desolate road in a region infested with robbers. Verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by the robbers? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. So what does it mean to love my neighbour? Simple, go and do the same. And who is my neighbour? Simple, it's anyone in need. To love our neighbour is to be sacrificially involved with the vulnerable and the needy, just as the Samaritan risked his life by stopping on that road. You know, Samaritans and Jews were infamously fierce enemies. It would have been like a Man United fan stopping to help out a Liverpool fan. It just wouldn't happen. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone, anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, religion, even football team, anyone at all in need is your neighbour. The good Samaritan, he saw the need, he felt compassion, but wait, it didn't stop there. He saw the need, he felt compassion, and at this point, Many of us are probably sat there thinking, well, I'll send a prayer hands emoji on WhatsApp, hashtag praying. But no, verse 34 says this, he went over to him. He saw the need and he ran towards it. He chose to answer the man's cry with his actions. He met material, physical and economic, economic needs through deeds, 
through his actions. And Jesus invites us to go and do the same. Who remembers the game of tag? It's like a game of tag. Jesus is effectively saying, tag, you're it. I'm tagging you in. Tag, you're it. Now go and do the same. This is Sharit Diana Ortiz Rincon. Little Diana is eight years old and she lives in La Esperanza, Colombia. Her favourite subject is art and she enjoys playing football in the park with her friends. And Diana is my compassion-sponsored child. Did you know that nearly 385 million children live in extreme poverty? And compassion give people the opportunity to take action against poverty by sponsoring a child in extreme need. Sponsoring a child like Diana here is a powerful way of helping our global neighbour. It gives a child born into vulnerability the stability of nutritious food, healthcare, education and the lifeline of a local church-based compassion project where they're known and loved. And it breaks generational cycles of abuse and poverty. If we really want to see real change in the world, we have to break these generational cycles by intervening, by running towards the need, by stepping in the gap. You know, it breaks my heart when I see angry young adolescents just 10 minutes down the road from here in Poynton, growing up surrounded by violence and drugs and abuse. Yes, it happens right here under our noses. And these kids are victims, byproducts of their environment. In the health and social care world, it's known as ACE, A-C-E, Adverse Childhood Experience. And it's these kids who are going to grow up and have children of their own, and their children will have children, and the cycle continues. These young people need our neighbour love. They need to know the unconditional love and acceptance that Jesus offers. And Jesus is tagging us in. He's saying, you see that need? Go and meet it. Tag, you're it. The prophet Micah says this, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. I think one of God's favourite words is let's. Let's is a contraction of let us. You use it to make suggestions about what you and someone else should do. Let's go for a walk. Let's invite John. Let's go and eat some food. Let's do it together. It's inclusive, it's relational, and it involves collaboration. See, God is not a tyrannical finger-wagging God saying, do this and do that. It's not, you must or you should. No, I think God's favourite word is Let's. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, it says this For two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labour. God wants to partner with us today. He wants us to partner with Him and He wants to suggest things that we can do together. 
God invites us to participate in his work on earth, in his mission of restoration and reconciliation, restoring the world to how it was created to be, to its full rightness. The Hebrew word for this rightness in the Old Testament is tzedakah. Tzedakah. It appears over 500 times. The root meaning refers to something that is straight, fixed or fully as it should be. And when we look at the world around us, it's painfully clear that all is not right, all is not straight in the world. When we see corruption, exploitation, racism, poverty, human trafficking, sexual exploitation, uh, destruction of the environment, when we see all these things, the world in many ways appears very much crooked. Something is out of kilter. All is not as it should be, as God created it to be. What God once called very good in Genesis now sadly seems a far cry from the harmony and the equilibrium it once experienced and enjoyed. So how do we achieve this this rightness, this tzedakah? Well, I'm glad you asked. Mishpat. The Hebrew term mishpat, what we might call justice, occurs over 200 times in the Old Testament. Mishpat is what the prophets were constantly banging on about. It's to intervene in a situation that's wrong, oppressive or out of control, and it's to put things right. Mishpat is something we participate in. It's something we're intentional about. It's something we proactively do, a conscious effort. It says in John 1.14 that Jesus, in his incarnation, moved in with the poor. The message translation says he moved into the neighbourhood. And that's exactly what this lady did. In 1966, Jackie Pullinger sailed across the globe to Hong Kong to meet the needs of those caught up in poverty, gangs and drug culture in one of the poorest and most dangerous places imaginable on the planet. Pullinger's definition of a Christian is a challenging one. One who knows and has been touched by the love of God shown through Jesus, understanding that he gave up his life and having been touched is impelled to show that love in practical and miraculous ways to others. And she says, if people don't show it in a practical way to the poor and to those around them, they have never been touched by that love. Wow, how challenging is that? Now, I'm not saying that we're called to set sail across the globe. I'm not saying, come on, let's all go to Hong Kong. No, no, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm saying we must see the need and we must meet it where it's at. We must see the need and we must run to it. Not turn a blind eye or cross over the road. No, we must see the need and we must run to it. We must partner with God. What Jackie P is saying is that there's a direct relationship between a person's grasp and experience of God's love and his grace and his or her heart for the poor. Before we give this neighbour love, we need to receive it. There's nothing in us that can earn grace, but by receiving grace, we should be spurred into action. We're called to respond to grace and then to extend that same unmerited favour and love to others. 
We're called to have an active faith, not a passive faith. It's all too easy for us to sit in our warm, comfy houses and throw a prayer over the fence and the occasional donation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Prayer is important. Prayer changes things. Prayer is powerful. But someone once said it like this. Sometimes you've got to put legs on your prayers. Sometimes you've got to put legs on your prayers. We must, as Jesus did, move into the neighbourhood. German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer dedicates a whole chapter of his book Ethics to doing, where he writes, the only appropriate conduct of men before God is the doing of his will. Only in doing can there be submission to the will of God. It reminds me of what James writes in chapter 2 of his letter. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? So in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. Church, what are we doing if we're not reflecting the love and grace and mercy of the God who showed it? to us. He didn't give us this free gift just to keep to ourselves. You know, a lot of us put ourselves in the place of the priest, the Levi or the Samaritan in the story. But who you really are is the broken man in the road, the man who needs help. Because of sin, you've been battered, bruised, beaten, robbed. And what God is asking us to do is in the same way he came and he picked you up and he cleaned you up and he forgave you and he looked past your faults and he saw your needs in the same way when we're on this path of life and, we're, and we see somebody else in need. All God is asking us to do is the same thing he did for us and move into the neighbourhood. Go and do likewise. Go and do the same. God says, I've blessed you so that you can go out and be a blessing to others. Time and time again in my life, I've experienced the unmerited favour of God and he's not let me down yet. And as we entered into this global pandemic last year, I lost my job and my income and my livelihood. But he blessed me once more. And if God has done all this for me, the only natural response is for me to go and do the same. A lot of people have experienced loss in this season. So when you come across that man on the road or that woman or that boy or that girl, what are you going to do? There's a needy world out there, church. And Jesus is saying, tag, you're it. Will you go and do the same? Will you go and do likewise? Will you partner with me? Will you be my hands and feet? Will you run to the need and meet that need where it's at? Will you move into the neighbourhood?